Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. (laughs) That's what it says. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Amen. Thank you, Tess. And thank you, Paul, for giving us his insights in the Corinthian church. Good morning. Welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. If you are new, as uh, uh, Bruce said earlier, we have a lot of new folks that are here. Uh, our surveys still show that over 50% of you are new to New York and New York City and to, and to our church in the past two years, which means we do have an incredible opportunity to build something special here, that our our vision is to live joy together in the city. And that's a very simple statement, but it's rooted in a very particular understanding of why we can actually have joy. It's because of who you are and how you were made. And it's inside this idea of biblical identity. Our culture has a view of identity as well. And what we said last week is we're starting a new series looking at the different cultural narratives that you and I swim in, that, we're, that is constantly around us, these storylines, these, these narratives that we unknowingly have absorbed. And our job is to compare and contrast these narratives to our own lives and see how they're doing and how they're working. And we're going to do that through the book of Corinthians in this series. So today we're going to look at identity, and we're going to do this in three parts. We're going to look at how identity is made— Right, first, how it's made, why our identities, they don't work, and then what will actually fix our identities for good. All right, so how our identities are made, why they don't work, and then what will fix them for good. So first, how identity is made. Go to our text. This is 1 Corinthians, first chapter. And in the first 10 verses, Paul is saying the problem in this church, which is filled with new Christians, people who now say they're Christians, the problem is division. He says, I appeal to you, uh, brothers and sisters, because uh, he wants them. He says, I want there to be no divisions among you. And he has to say that because there are divisions, and he lists four precise 
groups here because there's a group that says, I follow Paul, Apollos, Caiaphas, which is Peter, and then Christ. And each group had a different way of thinking. Look at verse 10. In mind and thought. That phrase, in mind and thought, means that they had different things to emphasize, different things to identify, different things that they focused on, and they built a narrative of saying, this is what's important, this aspect. And not only was it important to them, not only was it what mattered, then they tried to get everybody else to hold that view too. They pushed their identities on each other. Now your response might be, well, you know, that, that, that was dumb. Why are they doing that? Why don't they hold our view, which is, you know, you should just look inside and you do you and follow your heart and, and, and look at your own identity. Be true to yourself. And that, that's, that's our culture's view, but I want us to be very careful for, on, two, on two levels. Number one, we need to be careful that when we say phrases like that, actually what we're doing is we're, we are pushing a very particular Western, modern, individualistic idea of identity that is not normative necessarily for the rest of the world. That if you go to traditional cultures, if you go to non-Western cultures, what they will say is, do not look on the inside, right? There's all different types of views on the inside. You should look on the outside. Look at your community. Look at the people around you. Find out what they are expecting from you and then align your life to those expectations of your family, of the community around you. See, our view is different. In, in New York City, in America, we say, no, look all within. Look inside your heart. Look and find, find my truth, what you do you. Those things are, those statements that we throw around that are all around us all the time are actually very particular, individualistic, identity-based assumptions. And I think Americans, a lot of Europeans are miffed at why non-Western people don't actually hold this. They actually don't like it because it seems so natural to us and it's natural also because it's around us all the time. We just assume this is what's true. But just because we assume it doesn't make it true. It doesn't. That's number one to be careful of. Now, number two, be careful for this reason. Everybody, no matter what culture you come from, everybody is looking for praise and applause and acclaim at some level. All of us are. Maybe, here's, let's try this on. Maybe you grew up in a strict moral household, and the way you get your identity, maybe you say this, you say, you know what, I'm going to get my identity by being the morally good one compared to those people over there. And what happens, though, over time is this is what happens. Sometimes you mess up. One day you mess up, and you, and you get really upset at yourself, and you, you, you get mad at yourself, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to try to live that identity anymore. Instead, I'm going to get my identity by finding somebody who will love me. If I just find somebody who will love me, then, then I'll know who I am. And so a lot of us go off and try to do that. And either you either don't never find somebody that's enough, or you do, and yet it's up and down and left and right, and, and however the relationship is going, that's how you're going. And it ends up breaking you. So a lot of folks say, you know what, forget that. I'm not going to let somebody else define who I am. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to make a bunch of money, and then I won't need anyone for anything else. And then what happens is the, when, the, when your career goes left or right, all those little kind of career bumps, that, those are little mini deaths. And so the latest version of what people try to do is, you know what, I'm just going to be a good person. I'm just going to try hard. I'm going to love other people. And then what ends up happening is, is you either burn out trying to do that, or often you feel guilty because you don't love people enough. And I'm bringing that up because notice, in every single identity move, at some level— whether it's being moral or being loved or, or being successful or being good, at some level, each time it's not enough. It doesn't work. 
What's going on there? We're, we're trying to get our identity from these di different things, and we're looking on the inside to get those things, but it's, we're needing them confirmed on the outside, and it's not going to be enough. You say, hey, where does that come from? Well, where's this narrative of looking on the inside to get our desires? Where does that come from? Well, I think it's everywhere. If you go to the straight-to-DVD classic Cinderella 2, <laughs> Dreams Come True, there's a song in there, I kid you not, there's a song that says this, Follow Your Heart. The first stanza says this, Who's to say the rules must stay the same forevermore? Whoever made them had to change the rules that came before. So make your own way. Show the beauty within. When you follow your heart, there's no heart that you can't win. Now you say, Michael, that's a straight-to-DVD um, movie. Do we even have DVDs anymore? Fine. Okay. Well, how about this one? If you go to the movie Moana, right, Disney's, the opening song in Disney Moana, it says this. Remember, you may hear a voice inside. And if that voice starts to whisper to follow the farthest star, Moana, that voice is who you are. See, this stuff is it's everywhere. Mark Lilla, in his book, The Once and Future Liberal, says this is how we get identity. We look on the inside, number one. We declare whatever's on the inside as good, number two. And then we try to get the society around us to agree with us and confirm it, number three. And then what's, what's hard for us is that we're actually more fragile than before because now if, if it's our fault, if we're not fighting for our identity, if we're not discovering it, if, if we're not following our hearts. And so go back to our text here. We look at these people and we make fun of them for how they're using their identities. If I follow Paul, Paulus and I follow Paul, and we say they shouldn't do that, but guess what? We're doing the exact same thing. We thought looking into our own hearts would be a way to solve pushing our identities, but we haven't. We're still doing the same thing. And so before we move on, ask yourself this. How are you today trying to get identity? What's your identity creation model? Who's, who's applause? Who's praise? Who's uh, acclaim are you looking for? And how's it going? How are you getting it? In other words, whose name are you putting yourself under today? I think it's a, it's a fair question to ask every single one of us, no matter what we believe, because that's how you get identity. Number one. Okay. Number two. Why don't these identities work? Go back to our text here, and Paul, after he, he notices, hey, there's these divisions, it's, it's ripping this church apart, here are the four groups. Verse 13, this is what he starts doing. He starts giving these rhetorical questions. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Right? Well, these, these rhetorical questions are ways to try to show them that these identities are not working. Right? Obviously, Paul was not crucified for you. He's basically saying these identities, they're not working. They can't live and die for you. If you just give me a moment, I want to try to work through for us on three levels why our identities are not working today. Number one, modern identities are inconsistent and unstable. Right? The modern idea is, is you discover what, who you really are on the inside. But my question to you is this, which you is the real you on the inside? If you look inside, which one's the real you? Uh, for example, I was flipping through the television, this is a couple years ago, and I remember seeing a news program where a 13-year-old boy wanted a sex change, and everybody on the program was excited for him except his mom, who was like, but 
is this what he really wants? And everybody's like, of course it's what, he's want, what he wants. And, but the mom's saying, but is, is his future self going to want what his current self wants? And our culture, for some reason, we think we're, when it comes to the nature of our self, that we're static. And yet, we change our minds all the time. There, there, there's so many real feelings inside of you. This is the, I'm not saying those feelings are not real. I'm just saying there's so many. Right? There's feelings inside me. I, I want that peanut butter brownie. I really do. And yet, I want low cholesterol, and I want to be healthy. Which one is the real me? They're both me, but they're not me at the same time. Usually late at night after 10 p.m., it's the first. <laughs> but during the day when I have my mind, it's the second. But who's the real one? Well, are you different people at different times? No, they're both me. I mean, I'm attracted to this person over here, but I'm also attracted to that person. Which one's the real me? Right? These are real feelings inside of us. But what evidence do we have that the feelings that you have at the deep, deepest level, level are any less contradictory than, than the level we have on the conscious level? It can't just be the strongest feelings because the strongest feelings for you, in you, are changing all the time. Our hearts, I think this shows, are inconsistent and unstable and there's multiple versions and multiple levels of who you really are. And that's why looking on the inside, it's a very fraught uh, thing to try to find something of any consistency. That's number one. Now, number two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response or Q&R after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Not just inconsistent, moral, uh, modern identities are morally uh, problematic. They're morally shallow. This summer, I watched the summer blockbuster Barbie. And in that movie, the first 13 minutes are actually amazing. Because in the first 13 minutes, Barbie's in Barbie land. And she's having a great time. And she's uh, dressing up. And everybody's happy and having fun. And you look great. And I feel great. And they, there's this party. And everybody's dancing. And, and, you know, Barbie is saying to the other Barbies, you look so good. You look so good. Everybody's great. Yay, we're all dancing and having fun, and the night is perfect. And then Bar- the, the, the camera zooms in on Barbie, and she asks this question. She says, do you guys ever think about dying? And all of a sudden, the music stops. The, everybody's face kind of goes wide. Nobody knows what to do. And I love it, because that's exactly like modern life. All of life, we're trying to have fun and entertain ourselves and and be good, and let's just, you know, let's ignore the other things, and then what happens is, is reality breaks in. And it always breaks in with death or suffering, and nobody knows how to answer the question. Nobody even wants to ask the question. And I think that shows us, I think that's proof that there are modern identities are morally shallow because they can't actually answer the big questions of life anymore. They can't even answer what comes into all of your lives, which is suffering and death. And therefore, they're not just inconsistent. They're not just unstable. They're morally shallow. They're not going to be enough. Now, last, 
And last point about how they don't work. Modern identities are dishonest in how we create them. I think this is the biggest one. They're dishonest. Culture says this. It's very simple. All you have to do, all you have to do is look on the inside. And if you look on the inside, then that's who you are. Moana says that, right? Just look on the inside. That's who you are. But I think that's actually dishonest about how that happens. Um, it was explained to me this way once. Imagine a thousand years ago, you're a Viking man. And as a Viking, your culture says you, that we raid and we pillage the, you know, whoever's around us, the other uh, villages, the, the British Isles. And so if you have feelings of deep violence and hatred towards somebody of a different race or tribe, you have those feelings on the inside. You know what your culture says? Your culture says, yeah, that's what it means to be a Viking man. That's what it means. But if you, have ins- if you also inside of you start having an infatuation for uh, another man, not a woman, but another man, Viking culture says that's not who you are. Viking culture says that, no, that, that, don't do that. Now fast forward a thousand years to today, and what you have is this. Is if you start having feelings about wanting to do violence to somebody of a different race or of a, of a different tribe, what does culture say? That's not okay. You need anger management. You need to work against those things. But if you have feelings of, of same-sex attraction, culture says today, yeah, that's who you are. Now notice, in both time places, the exact same feelings. And yet, each culture has a different moral grid about how to read those feelings. And so that means you and I are unknowingly right now reading our feelings through the modern moral grid. And therefore, I think it's impossible just to look on the inside to see who you are. That's actually dishonest. Culture is telling you when you have those feelings about which ones to affirm and which ones not to. And so when Paul says in verse 13 here, when he says, was Paul crucified for you? What he's trying to say is, he's saying, is your identity able to save you? Was Paul crucified for you? Of course he wasn't. Well, then who are you going to put your identity in that's going to save you? Are you going to read your feelings and your identity through some modern moral grid that's going to change in 100 years? 100 years from now, so the, the culture is going to say something different about your feelings. Right? Are you going to use, look at modern culture to save you? Or are you going to look to the eternal word of God to be your grid? Are you going to look to the name of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul says here in verse 10. Or are you going to look to the name of some modern culture that is always changing? That's what I think we need to ask ourselves. That's what I mean by these are things that we don't even know we're absorbing, but they're here. Before we move on, I want to address a couple people in in this room. If you're not a Christian, can you at least, even if you don't agree with me fully, can you at least agree that culture's view of identity is not enough? That it's failing you or hurting you in some way. Maybe your whole life you've grown up in, in this narrative, but can you see that this is the reason why our culture is fracturing as we're weaponizing our different types of identities against each other, as we're forcing each other to have to affirm our version of who we are? Can you at least see that it, our culture's view is it's, it, it's not complete? What we've been sold, it's too fragile, it's too inconsistent, it's too unstable, and and it's morally shallow and dishonest. And that's why, when we make this the basis of our life, maybe that's why it's not working. 
Why we still feel like we still feel unaffirmed. We still feel um, not, not fully who we're supposed to be. Can you at least admit that? Can you at least agree with me on that? If you're not a Christian. Now, if you are a Christian, you might intellectually say, I believe in Jesus, that he's, he was crucified for me. But let me ask you, are you really living it? Do you really live it out? The Christian identity is not this. Oh, I need to feel good about myself, so I need to get a little bit of God today. I need to come to church, you know, on Sunday so that maybe then I, I feel better about myself. Now, that, that you, you, God is not a supplement. He's not a vitamin. He's not something to add to your life. The Christian identity is this. Real identity is God loves me because he loves me because he loves me. And he does so because of what Jesus did for me. And making that the core of your being, making that the center of your life, have you really done that? if you call yourself a Christian? Like, where, where is it possible that maybe you're frustrated today or you're feeling hurt today or you're not feeling fully understood today? Maybe it's possible that you've actually bought into the culture's view of identity unknowingly and not really living out what you, the identity you say you are as a Christian. Where is that possible? Where is that happening? All right, last point. Number one, that's, we, we know now how identity is made, just like here in, in the Corinthian church. We know where it's falling apart. Number three, last point, what will fix our identities for good? If you think the answer I'm going to tell you is like, we need to go back to the traditional way of doing identity. No, Paul's showing us right here that it's not working here either. In fact, it, the, Paul's writing about 15 years after Jesus died, right? Jesus died around 35 AD, so this is around 50 AD. But the church father Clement actually writing about the Corinthian church 40 years after this letter was written, he identifies three of the same four, of four of the groups here. In other words, not much has actually changed. They still have the same problem. So the question is, is then what's the answer? And I think that Paul tells us, by the time he gets down to verse 17, the very end, he says this. He says, I've come. Why am I here? Why am I trying to talk to you? Because I've come to preach the gospel not, the wisdom, not with wisdom and eloquence. Now, the problem with, if you just read it through your own culture, you're thinking, oh, so Paul's saying, I just got to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter how I say it. That's not actually, you got to know the context. The context is this, is that today, if you want to move people, how do you move people? You need, to, you need to get somebody famous, like a movie star or somebody rich and famous, the Taylor Swifts of the world. And if you get them to say it, then everybody listens. But back then, if you wanted to move culture, you had to be, uh, clever with debate skills and rhetoric and logic. You needed to use th um, the Greek version of wisdom and eloquence. And so what Paul is saying in this text then is he's saying, I want to persuade you. I really want you to, to agree with me, but I'm not going to do it to the cultural forms that you expect. Because if I do that, he says, lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. And in other words, he's saying, I don't want to just kind of use the ways that the culture uses, then that doesn't prove that there's actually power here. Right? The power is in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel. In other words, Jesus is saying, I mean, Paul's saying, the Christian identity is not supposed to be one of many identities. It has to be the identity of your life. And that means, not in the name of Apollos, not in the name of Paul, not in the name of Peter, and not in the name of any other identity. And let me try to be very clear. That doesn't mean your vocational identity doesn't matter. It doesn't mean your identity being white or black or Hispanic or Asian. 
whatever race that you are, whatever gender, male or female, it doesn't mean those don't matter. Of course they do. But they can't be the main thing. If they're the main thing, we'll weaponize it, we'll compare and contrast each other to each other. Paul's saying, no, what has to be the main thing is the power of the cross of Christ. And let me just try to show you practically in two quick ways. Two quick ways why it has to be this way. Remember how we said modern identities are inconsistent? They're always changing? What this is saying is that if you put your name in the name of Christ, today, tomorrow, you could be feeling up, down, left, and right. You could be feeling all these feelings. But if your name is the name of Jesus, and what, what you're saying at the end of the day is that I'm going to center myself on what he did for me, not what I did for him. I'm going to center myself on what, how he loves me, not how I love him. And the more you understand that, and the more you feel that, and the more you see that, that his love will never be taken away, that his works will never be taken away, as you root yourself in that, you're going to be free from needing to get an identity from anyone else. Do you understand that? That, that, that there's no more stability than you can have in this stability? Because why? Because who cares what they say about you? Who cares what they think about you? If you have the Lord of creation who loves you like this, there's no stopping how you walk out every day. There's no stopping it. Because you know deep down that he is this for you. Do you see that? And do you not want to be the a kind of person who doesn't have to look to someone or something else to get your identity? If you have this, and he says, I am yours, and all I have is, my, is yours, what else do you really need? Really, seriously, think about it. Well, ask me, what else do you really need? One of my favorite children's books is the, the Velveteen Rabbit, where there's this stuffed ant, toy rabbit who um, is talking to a toy horse in a, the child, in a child's nursery. And the rabbit wants to know, what really makes you real? Is it, is it, you know, being pretty? Is it having all the bells and whistles? Like, I can't be like these other toys out here. And, and the skin horse replies this, real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just play with you, but really loves you, then you become real. What the Velveteen Rabbit is saying is, is the more loved that you are, and the more you know how loved you are, the more real you'll become, and the more real he'll become to you. I think it's, it's really, you, we, we understand this. That if you feel loved by somebody else, you feel good. But if you're loved by the God of the universe who made you, and you understand that, and you feel that, and you, and you experience that, not just intellectually know it, but actually realize it, you will become real, and he'll become real to you. And so I'm asking you all, do you have a heart that burns for and experiences this love? And it, you will most see it on the cross in his life and death, raised for you. If today you're not sure of who you are, if, if the criticisms of the world get to you, if, if the hurts and the pains are getting to you, it's possible that he's not, you have not made him your identity. But if you do, as you understand how you're loved, you're going to love. As you, as, as you understand you're loved, you're going to live out that love. Now secondly, lastly, Last, last aspect of this. We said modern identities are, are too morally shallow, right? We're weaponizing them against each other. 
That means every day you feel good about yourself. When you put yourself around people that are not living up to what you think needs to be, then you feel good about yourself. But if they are and you're not, then you're feeling bad about yourself. If, if life is not about how well you're living up to being your race or your job or, or whatever performance model that you have, then the question still is, is then what is it? What's going to be enough? Greta Gerwig, who's the director of the Barbie movie, she actually said the, the spiritual center of her movie is the scene where Barbie is sitting at the bus station. She's crying because she's, she's in the real world and, and life is hard and she's seeing the brokenness and heartache in other people's faces. And she turns to a 91-year-old woman who's perfectly content with herself. And she, she desires that. She wants that. She sees it as beautiful. And the woman says, no, I know. I, 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 this is who I am. How is she going to get it? How are we going to get that? Gerda Gerwin, in, in the New York Times Mag interview, she says this. She goes, that's a transaction of grace. Because we all need this idea of a loving God who looks at you and says, honey, you're doing okay. Right? That's, we all need that. That's exact, I completely agree with her. But where does that come from? At the end of the interview, she says that it's when you're a child of God, that's when you know your value. It's when you're a child of God. Now, how, do, how are we going to know that we're a child of God? What's the best way to get that so we're not actually tearing each other apart? I think the best way is when you make Jesus Christ the core of who you are. And you say, wait a second, how does that stop us from weaponizing our identities? It's very simple. If Jesus Christ is the core of who you are, and the core of Jesus is someone who lived and died for his enemies, and you make that the core of who you are, you're going to live and die for your enemies too. You're going to live and die for the people who don't love you. That stops the brokenness. It stops it. It's the, it's the only thing that I can see of any other, making anything else or anyone else the core of who you are will make us compare and contrast ourselves. But only in Jesus you get the identity what he did, not what you did. No other faith, no other view, no one else is saying that. C.S. Lewis puts it better than I can in The Weight of Glory. He says this, when we stand before him, the promise of glory is the only, pos- is only possible by the work of Christ. What happens when in the work of Christ? It's where we find approval, approval to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work as, or a father and a son, it seems impossible, a weight of burden, of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. The door on which we've been knocking all of our lives will open at last. Here's what Lewis is saying. He's saying Christianity primarily is not about a belief. It's not even about an action. It's not, even about, it's not about the words. Ultimately, it's about an identity of knowing how loved that you are. How much that you have is approval. That you are not just pitied, but you're delighted in. And it's a weight of glory that we get to dwell on. And at the more you dwell on it, and the more you let it impact you, the more it changes everything. No powers or principalities can affect you anymore. No uh, ups and downs. Yes, they're going to be real. They're gonna, you're going to have those feelings. They're part of who you are, but they're not going to be the ultimate definition of who you are. This affects how we look at everything else. And if you really let it, not just say you do, but actually live it and experience it, not just in your head, but in your heart, then you guess what? If you have the applause of God today, 
you're not going to need the applause of anyone else. Ultimately. If you have the delight of the Lord in your life today, you don't need the delight of anyone else, ultimately. Those will come and go. But if you have this, the more you have this, the more you get this in the center of your life, through how? Through prayer, through praise, through singing, through song, through dwelling, through thinking through each other, living life as a community, kind of rubbing off on each other. Those are all ways to get this into our lives. And the question before I want to end is this. Will you do that? We have to keep re-upping to do it, right? Because why? We're, the storylines of the world are going to tell you something else. They're going to, they're, and there, there's some good stuff out there, but it, it's going to be incomplete. This, if you make this your identity, when we don't have to judge others, because we're not the judge, he is, and we don't have to be judged, what do we do? All you have to do is live feeling loved, and as you live feeling loved, you're going to love. It's that simple. Put yourself in the name of Jesus. Do not put yourself in the name of anyone else or anything else. The world's going to want you to do that. It's about power. It's about identity. But put yourself in his name. Live loved lives. And we will love. I want that to be us. I want that to be who we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this task is not a one-off task. This is a regular, daily, hourly commitment to say, who am I? And Father, we know who we are. We, we know it, but we don't know it. Just like our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago, quarreling among them, we quarrel among ourselves too. We've let division and fraction into our minds and thought. And Father, I just pray Move our hearts, soften them. Help us to see that there is nothing in life and death that, you would, that would stop you from loving us and that you delight in us and we have your applause and praise. It's too, it sounds like it's too good to be true because we know the depths of our hearts and in in what we think and how we don't love you and yet, like the perfectly good father, you still say, you can't get rid of me. I'm coming for you. I pray that that be, that, that, is most seen in our lives. And that affects us and moves us into gratitude and love and service and care. It affects how we will love and, and serve and how we'll stay with people and be with people and move into each other's lives. Help us to do this because there's no way to do it without your spirit. Holy Spirit, come in our lives in new and profound ways. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.